Hey everyone, this is Mike Flanagan. On this episode of the Inside Bowling Show, we welcome PBA bowler and online gaming pro coach Rambo Ray. During the show, we talk about his passion for both the video game business and bowling professionally. This show, if you found it by now, is broadcast live on Facebook and YouTube, and you should head over to those accounts by searching Inside Bowling to watch the program and check our schedule for future episodes. If you're enjoying our show, do us a favor and subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. It would mean a great deal if you did. If you really like what we're doing, you can head over to InsideBowling.com and pick up some of our merch. You can save 15% off with coupon code IVSHOW. Elements from the show today were intended for both video and audio, and we apologize if you can't follow along. This is a great reminder that all of our shows are archived on our YouTube channel. So here is our episode number 33 with Rambo Ray. again here on this wonderful wonderful day that it is that we call Wednesday on the calendar Matt and last night we had a hell of a night here on the inside bowling channel fantasy masters league draft St. Louis based and that's all the talk of the town in St. Louis last night and into today and you said it best on the opener I'm gonna let you tell everybody what you said you know, for anybody that's bowled tournaments before and you just bowl block after block after block and it feels like you never leave the bowling alley and you're just in there nonstop, it feels like Mike and I are just in this stream yard platform nonstop and we never leave. I know. It, it's, it most certainly feels that way. But, hey, we're happy to do it. Today's show just feels like a complete walk in the park after last night's Fantasy Masters League draft. And if you missed it, it's archived on our Facebook page, on our YouTube channel. And we did something really cool for the Roots of St. Louis uh, last night. And boy, what a what a great night it was. And then the post-draft party that we had with some of the captains afterwards, just listening to the stories and all the excitement. Hopefully they get that league back up and going, Matt. Yeah, it would be great to see for just bowling in general, especially the St. Louis bowling community. I've got had a ton of people reach out to me. They're like, so it was just like a normal league? And I was like, no, I don't think you understand this league had 25 PBA national champions that have bowled in it over the years. It had some of the greatest bowlers of all time in the league. Uh, it, so it wasn't just a league. It wasn't just like, hey, show up on Wednesday night and you go bowl your three games league and you, and you go home. No, this was way bigger than that. So to mm-hmm. if, if that league could come back, Mike, that would be one of the coolest things that I've seen since I've been involved in bowling. Yeah, what's cool about it is, you know, I live in Ogden, Utah, and I I think it's like 1,500 miles away from St. Louis, and there were people last night saying, Mike, here you go again. You know, you were able to, uh, through your platform, get everybody talking about bowling in St. Louis, and you don't even live there anymore, and, you know, I got a lot of the credit last night, but uh, those captains dedicated and donated their time, put themselves out there, 
Steve Orff was the originator of the idea. And then, and then you and all the producing last night, Matt. And, um, since you've come on board and helped me out here, you know, last night was, was, was a busy night for you behind the scenes. I was sweating hosting and I know you were sweating behind the scenes. Yeah, it was, uh, there's a lot going on, man. We're trying to throw these different banners up. We were trying to switch people on and off the screen, show the draft board, fill the names in, play the NFL draft chime. And when, when you did it, when you impersonated it one time, it was totally off. It wasn't even close. It wasn't no, even it wasn't. close. It wasn't. Um, but it was, a, it was a blast, man. It was a good thing to be a part of. It was cool to see. You told me, you're like, Matt, there might be 500 to 1,000 people watching live concurrently. I was like, Mike, there's no way. You're, you're, you're crazy if you think that many. And we did. while we didn't get that many, we got a, you know, about 300 people watching concurrently live throughout the entire show, which was amazing. So, uh, so really grateful for everybody that tuned in. Grateful for all of our friends, uh, Love Jones, Jeremy Witt, Jerry uh, Jerry Anderson, all tuning in, some regulars here on the IB Show. So shout out to you guys for tuning in yesterday and uh, for tuning in again today with us. Yeah, and today's show um, is one that 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 I'm up for. I, I really am looking forward to today's show. We've got Rambo Ray on today, and uh, I'm not sure how viewership will be. You know, obviously when we have on Hall of Famers and, and people that are household names, uh, we draw quite a few more, but uh, this is going to be one that I'm for sure going to go back and listen to. Um, Rambo Ray uh, is his name, and we'll bring him on here in a few minutes. But, you know, this guy, all of a sudden out of nowhere, I was looking online and people are like, hey, Mike, you need to hook up with uh, Rambo Ray. And I'm like, uh, who the hell is that? Right. And they're like, oh, he's got 200,000 Twitter followers. And I'm like, hmm, Okay. Uh, why would I want to reach out to this guy? Well, he loves to bowl. I'm like, how do you get his 200,000 followers? And and they're like, well, he's really big in esports and in e gaming. And I'm like, well, you know, I've been hearing about this, and I like to play games too. And I know that there is, it's surging and growing. And this is a couple of years ago. People were telling me about this. Like, yeah, he was really good at Call of Duty. And I really didn't take much of an interest because the this, this role-playing shooting games, I think 007 was the first one that came out on Nintendo 64 back in the day. And I just, I could never get the hang of it. I'm, I'm all sports guy all, all the way around, and I don't get to do that enough. And I'm a competitive guy. I don't like to lose. So if I can't figure it out pretty quickly, um, you know, I move on to another game. So, uh, But anyway, so I did a little research on the guy. And, uh, you know, very active in the space knows his shit obviously when it comes to, to video games and then i started noticing the guy started bowling and he started bowling regional tournaments he started winning then i saw that he started hanging out with some of the cats that i know like pj haggerty and some other folks like that and then the guy shows up in st louis to bowl the holiday doubles tournament all the way from california with pj haggerty then i see him start ordering merch and supporting what we're doing over here and then i met him in person and had a couple conversations with him and very intriguing person. And as we talked to him before the show today, I've never had that opportunity to uh, have a dinner with him or have a Coke with him or a milkshake or whatever, because he doesn't drink, I found out. Um, and today we're going to have that conversation publicly uh, with all of our audience. And I'm really looking forward to having that public conversation with Ray because uh, his success that he's had is very intriguing to me. And it's in a technological space, and he's done a lot of different things with uh, working on the games themselves, coaching a team now, from what I understand. And we're just going to learn a whole lot about this guy. And he has a passion and a love for bowling, and he's smart, too. And he's from Canada. So we're looking forward to getting to him. Uh, I want to let everybody know also tomorrow we're going to have Mike Jasnow and Mike ba Mark Baker on the show. Jasnow and Baker tomorrow. So that's going to be a great coaching show. Looking forward to having those guys on. And then on Friday we're going to have Chris Chartrand from Kegel. 
which I had a care package show up this morning on the porch from Kegel that, that Chris sent me. And I think I'll probably wait to open it on the air because um, he's got some new products and stuff. So we've got a great week in store for you the rest of the week. Before we get to our man, Rambo Ray, we've got a Bowler X poll question to get to from yesterday. And let's take a look at the poll question now. Yesterday's Bowler X poll question. Uh, if you could bring back the bowling balls from a specific decade, which of the following would you pick? And uh, 1970s was an option, came in at 5.7%. 1980s came in at 21.4%. The 1990s barely beat the 2000s at 38.6%. The 2000s, 34.3%. So 1990s, man. Uh, that's my glory days, my heydays. So uh, maybe you just got a little bit of an older audience there. 40-year-olds love us, I guess. I guess so. That I mean, that makes sense because they follow you. You know, you're you're about like 55, 60 nowadays. So you're you're connecting with the older audience. So that makes sense. Sure am. I'm no spring chicken, as Pete <laughs> Weber and I discussed on Monday. What do you got for a poll question today with our man Rambo Ray? Looking forward to this one. Yeah. So uh, we're trying to relate this today's question to gaming, as we usually do try to relate our poll questions to our guests. Um, so today's inside bowling poll question brought to you by Bowler X is which of the following is the best bowling video game. The first option, Brunswick Pro Circuit. Number two, Silver Strike Bowling. Number three, PBA Pro Bowling. And number four, Wii Bowling. All right. Yeah, I like the question a lot. I think uh, I think at this point in time, uh, since we're going over the poll question, we'll get his vote right away out of the gate. I want to introduce Rambo Ray to the program. Let's bring Ray in. Ray, thanks for joining us. What's the greatest bowling game of all time, sir? What's up, guys? Brunswick Pro Circuit on the PS1. That's a long shot. Like, it's all pin action. Game was the most realistic game. Even though you throw plastic and throw 300 left and right, it was it was the most satisfying bowling game. It had a bunch of the pros at the time. You had skins game. You had all the elements that makes a fun game for bowling. And I remember when I was a kid, I went to, like, a, it was we had a junior tournament in Quebec where all the pro, all the parts of Quebec would kind of come in and, and play this provincial tournament. And I, I remember rooming with Mark Buffa, Canadian bowler, and uh, Daniel DeSalvo and some of the guys out there, and they had it up on the screen. I was what, like, I think it was nine or ten at the time, and we were playing that game, and it was the most, it was probably the most enjoyable experience of a video game I had in my younger days. So yeah, it was, it's exciting. Love that game. That's cool, man. Well, thanks for coming on the show today. We appreciate you being a guest. Uh, looking forward to this conversation uh, very, sure. very much personally. Um, let everybody know. Let our audience know a little bit about yourself. Um, you know where you're from, where where you are now. And just a little bit of uh, the background on you, get people up to speed. So, yeah, I'm, uh, my name is Ray Lucier. I am from Montreal, Quebec. I grew up bowling, like I said, with, with Mark Buffa. If people know who's he, uh, him and his dad on one of the biggest suppliers in Canada. Mark went to Michita. I bowled with Frankie growing up to a certain amount. Frankie Lavoie, I'm sure a lot of the viewers know him. Um, I started bowling when I was young. I bowled juniors, uh, bowled well, Team Canada for four years. I started playing video games when I was young too, but I didn't really take video games seriously the way I did for like making money out of it until I got sick and I stopped bowling. I was about 19 or 20 at the time. Um, and then I made started making a living out of video games because that's all I could really do in my time. Um, had digestion issues and whatnot, kept me grounded. And then gaming started getting bigger and money started getting more and more into it. And it started becoming this kind of esports as a whole started growing to an amount where it just became uh, sustainable to make a living playing video games, which is Obviously, a lot of people out there would be excited knowing that. Um, so I started doing that. I moved me from Montreal to Ontario to Greensboro, North Carolina, where we had an actual team house where the team I played for lived in the same house. And it was our practice kind of headquarters, I guess you could say. And we traveled the tournaments from there. 
And uh, once I stopped competing, I started working for a company called Sledgehammer Games, which are one of the developers that make Call of Duty. I did that for five and a half years. And then I just recently started coaching the Dallas Empire, as you can see behind me. Nice little banner with the logo and everything, and all the sponsors. Um, and it, yeah, it got me back into since Call of Duty franchise, which is kind of like Call of Duty, like is like any professional sport now, where there's city-based teams that compete on a weekly basis for X amount of prize and and pride and whatnot, and uh, all all cumulative towards the biggest tournament, the kind of the finals, I guess, a Super Bowl of Call of Duty, which is uh, the Call of Duty Championships happening in, in August. Cool. So you, you gave us a lot of information there, and uh, you, you talked pretty fast there, Ray. Which, uh, which is sorry, great. Uh, great. Um, but I missed I missed something in there, and I was paying attention. I wasn't staring off into space. But you said that you played video games because there was some an issue. What what was the, what were you saying? Yeah. So I had a. I mean, not to go too depth into it, but I had a I had a stomach bug that kind of took me off my feet. I kind of lost twenty pounds in the span of like two weeks, and once I kind of lost energy, and I was basically nauseous for like a year and a half. So I didn't realize kind of stopped doing anything really activity wise. The only thing I did was kind of sit at home and trying to get through my sickness. Um, and my kind of outlet to that was video games. Video games is kind of easy, it's accessible. Um, it took my mind off things and and kind of at the time it was my way of kind of get through my sickness. So uh, yes, obviously it's sad, but at the same time, it's kind of like if I didn't get sick, I probably wouldn't be where I am today. Um, people say everything happens for a reason. I guess that's kind of true in this case. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Cause I didn't, I didn't know about that. Okay. Very yep. interesting. So, so you've got these two paths is, is what I'm understanding here. You've got this, this video game passion and this thing that you could do while, while you were kind of, you know, at home, couldn't, couldn't do much. And then, and then you, you've got bowling, right? So which one found you first bowling found you first or the video yeah. game? Bowling, bowling found me first. I started bowling. When I was a toddler. I think it was two years old. And my, my whole dad's family were all bowlers, my grandma and her grandparents and so on and so forth. And my dad and his family. So um, he used to kind of pull me in a shoulder to his league on, I think it was like Wednesdays or Thursday nights. And just kind of, would just sit there and watch. Um, I started picking up, uh, we have duck pin in Canada for some people that don't know. It's like this, the balls are basically this big. They're small pins and have like rubber around the pin and have ropes and everything that a lot of bowlers hate. Uh, but yeah, no, that's, that's kind of what got me into it. I started throwing the 10 pin balls when I was, I think seven. Uh, I mean, obviously that's when my dad bowled. So I, I kind of got into that and started bowling leagues and, and I was surrounded really like, again, like I bowled league with Mark Buffo and I was a junior. He, obviously he was older than I am by like five or six years, but I was surrounded by really kind of great bowlers that bowled on team Canada that, that had kind of the, the, the flourish of it. And I had Frank, Frank Buffo was a PBA bowler back in the day. who's was a great coach of his own. And, and I had access to some really great minds around my kind of at a young age. So I got to learn a lot of things and I'm very good with, with watching and learning. So I'm very observatory. So I saw a lot of things and try to emulate them and, that's kind of what made me a good bowler, just kind of understanding how to the whole flick of the wrist and elbow to get the rev rate up. And I started doing that at a very young age. So, um, so yeah, I was like, as a kid, I was really kind of hoping I would be a pro bowler someday. That was kind of my, that was kind of my, my hopeful for it. I didn't really like school that much. Um, I was okay at school. I was successful in most part, but I just, it never really intrigued me. I like competing and having fun. That was kind of my, my main kind of goals in life was to really, do something I really like for a living, not feel like I'm working every day and then uh, have some element of competition to keep my drive going. And, and interestingly enough, like whenever bowling became not a possibility for me to, to a certain extent, um, gaming kind of came up at a perfect time for me and it just ended up being kind of the path I pursued. Yeah. You're really in the right place at the right time before I get into too much of the gaming stuff, because I have a ton of questions in, in that particular path there. I want to continue on with bowling. Um, you know, you love bowling. You've been paying attention to bowling forever. And 
uh, I've just seen, you know, in the last five years or so, your name start to pop up in, on the regional tour and even at a couple of national events. How do you feel your game is right now? And tell the folks some of your success that you've had. Yeah, so I mean, well, I'll just start right now, so we can skip that part. I have a, I have the bowler's thumb, the neuroma. I have like a a large nerve in my thumb that happened late December last year, so I haven't been able to throw a ball since. I tried to pick up the two handed thing, but I don't know if it's for me or not. So I'm hoping that heals. And I, I've heard some surgery stuff. So I might have to end up trying to do something like that to really kind of get back to where I want to be. But uh, before that, yeah, I, I stopped bowling when I started playing video games for a living. Uh, one of the things that people don't understand when they see pro gamers is that it's really lifestyle. Everyone's like, oh, this guy's having a blast. He's playing video games all the time. He must have, be having so much fun with his life. And and to obviously, to a certain extent, you're playing games, so it is fun. But it, it becomes really a job like anything else. You have to invest so much time into it uh, to a point where, like, I'm sure a lot of pro bowlers out there can say, like, I enjoy bowling, but I'm more there for the competitive aspect and what it can bring me more so than enjoying the game. Um, and gaming is no different. Any sport at a kind of professional level is no different, in my opinion, at least from what I heard. Um, so it's really kind of grinding. Like you play like eight, nine hours a day of really uh, making sure you stay on top of whatever is out there and, and, you know, understand everything that needs to be understood in the game to really be able to compete at the highest level. And if you stop doing that for like a week, then all those other players that invested the same amount of time you normally do for that week might've got at a curve and might've got ahead of you in some capacity. So it's, there's no really break. There's no like weekend. There's no vacations. The vacation is really for call of duty players is, uh, since we have a new game come out every year, we have like a month period where the competitions stop and then a new game comes out. So there's like a month where you don't really play that much. But for the most part, like I said, it's really a lifestyle. So um, I wasn't able to throw a bowling ball for probably like six years. I mean, beyond maybe like a casual aspect here and there. I might have touched, went to bowling at like two or three times to play with friends and threw a house ball down the lane. But I really wasn't able to do it. So when I started doing the game development in California, um, it's more of like a nine to five job. So obviously I had much more free time. I had my weekends and whatnot. So, and I wasn't able to compete playing video games anymore because it was my contract. Since I'm working for people who make the game, I can't compete. So I needed something to scratch a competitive itch. So I saw the perfect opportunity to get back into bowling. I started throwing the ball two-handed when I first started bowling again, because I really, I had a notorious kind of ask, like my hand, my hand is just not made for bowling, I guess. And my thumb rips up, my fingers rip up. So I was kind of trying to stay away from that. It seemed like a way to enjoy the sport with a curve. Like I like seeing the pin action and whatnot um, without messing up my hand. But then the competitive aspect got better. I was like, I think I was averaging like 205 or 210 at most. Uh, so I started picking up the ball one hand again. And I, surprisingly, if I picked it up pretty quickly, um, I think it took, took about a, a month or so. And I felt like I was pretty decent. And about maybe four or five months later, I felt like I was actually better than I used to be because I used to throw the ball really hard as a kid. Um, and when I started bowling again, I didn't have the same kind of strength because, I mean, I, like most people think, play, being a pro gamer, you sit around a lot. And I didn't really go to the gym like a lot of these other players do. So um, it, it came to a point where I, I was actually better than I used to be, which is kind of funny to think about after taking such a long break. So I started kind of like when you, you kind of surface. I started bowling regionals. Um, I met PJ and a lot of bowlers out there, and it kind of took me under my wing, under their wing, sorry. And uh, I, I was pretty successful pretty early. I bowled, uh, I got second in my first ever PBA regional. I lost to actually you know, a local bowler out there. I got to play a gold, Joe Goldstein senior and a lot of kind of good regional bowlers out there. And uh, my second regional, I made the cut and I think I got like fourth or fifth. And then uh, I started getting in contact with Tom Clark and he like, he hit me up on Twitter and we started talking. He's like, hey, you should come bowl the World Series, which was in Reno in 2000, was that 17 or 18? Uh, it was like two or three years ago. Um, which was probably the best decision I ever made in my bowling career was to go out there and compete. 
Um, I got in the field. There was 192 bowlers. Um, it was the most grueling bowling experience I've ever encountered in my life. Bowling 40 games with two practice days and six days was absolutely ridiculous. My buddy was really I think you made a cut. Uh, yeah, and, uh, yeah. So I, I bowled the first practice day. I overdid it like crazy. I was like so nervous, really making sure I had all my equipment set up. I probably bowled like six or seven or eight games. And then I went 10 games, 10 games. My body was absolutely shot. I mean, I had to take a nice bath for the first time in my life. And I was a savior. So I didn't bowl the second practice day because it was it was practice day, two-day competition, practice day in 10, two days. And then actually, funny enough, the last day where my body's kind of like not feeling anymore is the scorpion pattern. I bowled out of my I bowled, I bowled the best 10 game set I guess I ever bowled and I averaged like 233 or something and qualified like 12th. And, uh, and funny enough, uh, another story kind of related to that. It was on a Sunday and it was in Reno. So it was driving distance from where I work and I only have X amount of time off because I'm working a corporate job. So I had to drive back. Driving comp like driving means San Francisco, right? Correct. Yeah, San Francisco. Yeah, in the Bay Area. So not like it was like close, like bowling stadium, El Dorado, your sure. park. It was a four-hour drive. Yeah. Okay. So so on Sunday night, really late, I drove through the night to get back home, got like two hours of sleep, went to work on Monday. And then the since the since I qualified for the last event, they had like the World Series or the World Championship uh, match play round, which was like on Monday or Tuesday, and then Wednesday and Thursday were the kind of the animal pattern match play so i drove back on wednesday night i was i was actually planning on driving thursday morning but they were announcing a snowstorm on thursday so i didn't want to get stuck in the hills and not be able to make it so i drove back on wednesday night got there watched the i think it was the cheetah uh, cheetah qualifying or, or match play portion and then i bowled my match play portion on on thursday afternoon i bowled zeke bait really cool guy um i ended up beating him three to one and then i had to bowl belmo to make a tv show and that was not fun <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great so man you, you know cool story on on the bowling side of things i mean you, you you've got natural talent i mean we've, we've had some people chiming in here in our interactive program you know del ballard has, has chimed in and said how good you threw it and immediately had to had to sign you to storm you're part of storm nation uh, also chris barnes chiming in interested in the show here today and what you have to say so you've certainly got the attention of some of the bigger names in bowling and also you know, with those 240,000 Twitter followers, you know, Tom Clark is no dummy. Um, anytime he sees somebody that's got some game that has a following, he does everything we can for our sport to attract folks that could turn more people into bowling and potential sponsorships and things. So really smart on his part. And I'm um, glad that he gave you that, that invitation and gave you that idea. And it sounded like a great experience for you. No, it was great. And, and the only bad experience I ever had with Tom Clark was they have this, uh, this like player meeting before an event. And it was, I think it was the night before practice or a night of practice day at, the, at that event world series. And Mookie Betts was there. So he like announced to everyone that we had like two celebrities. I'm like, he didn't tell me anything about this. And then like, he announces Mookie Betts and everything. And like, I mean, everyone knows who Mookie Betts is, right? Like he's the, he's a pro baseball player, like MVP and all that stuff. So they announced him and then they announced, we also have a pro gamer here, Rambo Ray. And he enlightened me with my following and he didn't know what game I competed on, which was like super embarrassing. I'm like, <laughs> and I had, like Darren and Chris, like a little bit behind me. Obviously, like kind of buddy beer, those guys. And they're like, they're like a little bit laughing at me. I'm like, dude, that's such bullshit, man. Like, I didn't know what game I played. And I got freaking uh, Amleto Monticelli behind me. And, like a fucking fan. And he's like, he's like, look at me, like crackling a little bit. I'm like, all right, great. Like, <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah, great. That's, that's that is awesome. Great. 
I love throwing Tom under the bus there. That's awesome. Yeah. But uh, but hey, at the same time though, you gotta you gotta give my man some props for putting you in the same sentence as Mookie Betts. Yeah, no, hundred percent. That was I mean that was yeah for sure. That's pretty cool. So um so yeah, all right. Well, let's uh let's dive into this to this other side of of your life, this other passion. We got bowling. We'll get back to it. But this whole gaming thing, man. You know, like. I'm sure there's a lot of people watching the shows uh, according to our demographics that are like, okay, this guy plays video games and gets paid. Right. And, and it's more than just that. Like that's kind of how things got going and you had to put in a ton of time. You just told us you, you had to stay sharp in playing these video games, understanding everything, um, how the players you're playing against play, learning the names and how all their tendencies, all this different kind of stuff. Right. And then you then you go to work, I believe, for the for the gaming company that designed the game. They recruited you to go in and help with the designing of new games because of who you are and your personality. You got to be smart to be hired by them. And now you're coaching. So this is very, very interesting to me. I don't even know where you want to begin here. But, oh, but start from the start. yeah, let just tell us about this. So 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 the one thing is like everyone sees like the glamorous aspect of esports right now, how much money there is into it. it. Trust me, it wasn't always that way. Uh, when I first started competing, we were playing for like scraps. I mean, basically like a couple hundred bucks here and there was kind of the prize money you're playing for. So it, it really grew into what it is now. And and some people kind of not not suffered, but like I really played for the competitive aspect of it. And and the amount of money I was making was really able to keep me sustaining, but now I wasn't really buying a house or kind of living on my own with the kind of money I was making at the time when I first started competing when I was like 18, 19. I mean, it kind of grew as I played along and as, as kind of got bigger. Uh, but for the most part, it really wasn't that big. So I started competing online like most people kind of do. Uh, they play with their buddies. And, and also gaming is like any sport. Like you start young as a kid and you play this game. Like I play football. Like Tom Brady was a kid, played football. He was really good at it. And then he's like, okay, well, maybe I can make something out of this. And you get better and better. And as it goes, you see you have a chance. And then and then you can make it big time and then you get paid and whatnot. So gaming is no different. You kind of play these online events that are free and these these ladders that are on these third-party websites. Um, and then you just start playing and you have fun with it. It's more like a play for pride, try and beat the other guy because you want to be better than him, just like any other kind of sport. And then it comes to a point where you're like, oh, look at that. I'm, I'm pretty good at this. They have these tournaments that I can buy into and make money in return if I win. So you start doing those and I went through the ropes just like any other competitive player and started playing those and made a little money. And then, and then they offer these bigger and bigger tournaments and it's kind of, you kind of move up the chain, uh, so to say. Um, so it kind of grew me into like the player I am today, like just kind of understanding the games and, and what I was really good at personally, which kind of goes into everything you just talked about with the game development and, and coaching is my, I guess my, my strengths are my intelligence and understanding of the game more so than my my skill, for example. So like, just like there's bowlers, I'll, I'll, I'll use a bowling analogy. There's like bowlers out there that aren't necessarily the best accuracy or the highest rev rate, but they know their way around the lanes. They just know where they should be bowling and what kind of equipment they should be throwing because they're very intellectual about the sport. And that was kind of me in video games. I was never the guy who's going to outskill my opponents by a lot. I had a, I had a level ground where I was good enough to compete at the highest level, but I wasn't really going to win games by just outskilling my opponent. My ability to, uh, to beat my opponents were really through my mind and really understanding the game, like almost like it's a chessboard. It's really X's and O's and really seeing things deeper. So if I'm going to get the amount of kills or the amount of interactions I'm doing on, in the game are going to be valued more by my by my play because of what I'm doing after I get those interactions uh, without going too in-depth. Um, 
so that's kind of what got me to the kind of game development job. I met people within the industry and and obviously like the, the community and really kind of praised me for being that person. I made a lot of content on YouTube, really explaining the game and really kind of preaching what went through my mind. And it got my my reputation up to those people. And and when the opportunity came, they saw like I, I got dropped from a team after getting second at the biggest storm of the year at the time, which yeah, gaming at the time was very friend driven. So it's almost like, I don't know, like, let's say we, us three made a team and we're okay. like, okay, we're, we're going to be a pro team. We're going to play a, a, this bowling tournament, this three-man bowling tournament. It's a league and we're going to play together. But then we're like, Flanny, bro, you suck in NHL. So I don't want you on a team anymore. Me and Matt are going to pick up PJ. We're going to take PJ on our team now. So just because, not necessarily because you did something in the game that wasn't great, maybe because you didn't have a, a good, uh, like a good relationship with the other players they were able to kind of change teams like that. It wasn't really like pro sports where you're contracted by an organization and they control your kind of livelihood. The players really controlled their own livelihood at the time I competed in, which is very different than what it is now. Um, so yeah, I got drive for second, beginning second, the biggest, biggest tournament year for whatever reasons there were at the time. And then the company that I ended up working for reached out to me about two weeks later. And for me at the time, I was like 25 years old, which is old. I mean, yes, old, I did say old. Um, for gaming and that kind of competitive world, at least at the time, not a lot of players grew into it. Uh, but most of the players I was competing with at the time were like 18, 19 years old. So for me, it was a job. Like, this is my life. Like, if if no money's coming in, then this isn't working for me. Um, and I didn't see the security anymore because of the kind of the, the volatility of really kind of having different teams and left and right. And at the time, I was living in Greensboro, North Carolina. I just got a professional athlete visa for gaming. I got a P1 visa, which moved me to the States. And to work for another team, I would have to go through all the legal mumbo-jumbo and whatnot. So it came to a point where like, okay, well, do I really see this as a as a good kind of path for me now? So it kind of came in at a good time. They they reached out to me. We went through the kinks of getting another visa for me because I'm Canadian and whatnot. And then I moved out there and started doing what I did. And it was it was really cool and interesting. And honestly, I'd probably still be doing it today if it wasn't for the cost of life in the Bay Area. Wow. Okay. Well, that's um – lot into that lot into that like you know an analogy that i draw from what you just said would be like you know if kyle troop finished second to belmo in like the tournament of champions and then storm said hey troop see you later you know we don't need yeah. you anymore right i mean, almost, I mean almost yeah it's, it's so would, yeah, it, would be, it would be like the pba league like somebody goes out there and they're they you know like someone misses a 10 pin and they're like yeah sorry dude like we weren't crazy about you to begin with and you're not that great so we're just gonna like pick up mike Flanagan I mean, and throw him on the team it happens like there's 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 always elements like that and it's still to this day like if players like there needs to be an element of teamwork right like if players don't like who they're playing with then they won't be able to perform and that's not good for anybody I'm not saying they made the wrong decision at the time but it was just weird like for me in my life at that point was like like what am i supposed to think of this like am i ever going to find stability in this again and it's really based on the people you're playing with and the players that i felt like were given to give me the stability i wasn't able to team with at the time so it's 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 a big world where there's a lot of kind of things that are very similar to professional sports. And, and I honestly, like I could, if you ask any question about pro gaming, I can find an analogy to a pro sport and just the basis of like, for example, what I am now as a coach, it's very much like Bill Belichick, like, or any professional football coach It's X's and O's. I'm there to analyze what my team's doing, figure out what they're doing right and what they're doing wrong. And then if I'm seeing something another team's doing right or wrong, because I'm watching what they're doing, and it seems to be kind of equaling to a better strategy than what we're doing, then I try to implement it or make it better for my team. And it's about the, the difficulties of my job is really communicating them in a way where the players understand it 
and really making sure that they agree with me on the things that I really want. So it's like, like if I just say things to say things, then you lose kind of that that involvement with the players. So it's really just about making sure that they're on the same page and and really competing at the highest level. And my job is to make sure that they're at the highest level strategically. Their job is to make sure that they're at the highest level strategically and understanding, but also playing wise. Like they they they're the ones that are kind of uh, giving the skill level, I guess you can say. So it's it's almost like I was because when I was competing, I was almost a coach on my team. I was very much doing the things I'm doing now while I'm playing. Um, so for me, it's coaching kind of came inherently because I just was doing that when I competed. So it's really not any different uh, for me, which I adapted pretty quickly what I'm doing now. Now, Ray, I consider myself a gamer, right? I mean, I've owned all these consoles over the years, and I've you said you didn't like Goldeneye. I don't know what I think of that. Like that's that's like total OG, like classic. Like it's just I know. I, I tell me, I'm I'm a weird cat for it's sure. Like saying you don't like Earl Anthony. Yeah, right. Yeah, okay. All right. Yeah, nice try there, Matt. Uh, you know, Ray. Ray mentioned something. He's like, it's very hard to be good at something. You know, if if you're if you're not going to be playing alongside people that you like playing with, and that's kind of how I feel in this inside bowling show. Like the, the growth of the show is is limited because, gosh, man, I just can't stand this Flanagan cat. <laughs> uh, well, here's here was what I was trying to get to here before Matt uh, interrupted me there. Um, I'm kidding with Matt, but. Um, you know, I consider myself somewhat of a gamer here, right? And the stuff that you're talking about is so foreign to me. I mean, it's so out there. Like, so this is what I'd like for you to try to do for me and the audience that are dumb as a box of rocks when it comes to this stuff. Take me through, let's just take a garden variety game here, right? Um, what's what's the one that you're playing right now? What's Call, I mean, Call of Duty is like the, the game that I would assume most viewers are, are in relation with. And that's the game I compete and I know the most. So okay. I can give you a kind of in-depth yeah, so let's let's just explain Call of Duty, right? So, so from what I understand, make sure I got this right. Is is it's a game where you you get into a lobby and then you you join up and you you get into this to this uh, area and you're you're in a you're in an area where there's all these warehouses and and uh, trucks and helicopters fly in and drop things out of the sky. They're called and, maps. Maps. Okay, yeah. there we go. And, and you go into these different areas and then you're a team. And the, the goal is to kill everyone on the other team. And see many so so the pro level we play, there's objective modes. So for example, like the three modes we play this year is team king. Of the, it's, it's called Hardpoint, but it's inherently like king of the hill. There's like this zone on the map that changes positions a couple of times. And the objective of the mode is to sit in that space for the most time in the game. So if my team sits in the, in the heart called the Hardpoint for 250 seconds, then we win the game before the other team gets to that point. We have search and destroy, which is a, a round-based mode, which is basically there's. I mean, for people who know gaming or know Counter Strike, it's it's basically a, a, an attack and defensive mode where there's two bomb sites. The objective of the attacking team is to go plant the bomb or kill all their opponents before the, the time limit runs out, and then the objective of the defensive team is to kill all their opponents attacking or defuse the bomb when it's planted. And if the bomb is planted and explodes, then the team that attack wins that round, and then it's a best of eleven from there. And then the third mode we play is domination, where there's three objectives, stationary objectives on the on in the world in the map, and the objective is to control those zones for the most part of the game. So, if I get on that zone, I capture it, and then I control and I get points for that. So if I control two to three zones for most of the game, then I end up winning the game because I have more points. So in very kind of simple layman's yeah. term, I guess you can say that's kind of the, how Call of Duty works. And just to, just to kind of surface what you're saying though, like for example. I mean, we'll talk about it. we'll talk about this later. I'll, I have a point for that though. What you're just talking about, how you're saying like you're you're not a knowledgeable person. You're a gamer, 
or you're not a knowledgeable person. I can compare that very much to bowling. I know a lot of people who like bowling. And I was just explaining actually to my professional team yesterday what bowling really is. And they play, they, they go bowling casually here and there. They just don't, like they had no clue there's lane, oil in the lane, bowling ball, cores, surfaces, different lane surfaces, topography, like all this in-depth stuff that goes into bowling. And, and I really want to talk about this later because Call of Duty deals with a lot of the same issues bowling does in that front. And I can maybe get to help people understand some of that stuff. Okay. So thanks for the explanation of, of the maps and how the game works and everything. Right. I've, I've found myself getting into these games a couple of times. Okay. Where people have been like, Hey Flanagan, grab a controller, right? I'm at somebody's house or whatever. Right. I, I go into this game and I, and I'm, and I start out in some area with everybody else and they're like, Hey, go over here to this, to this box or to this crate or go here, follow me here, cover me, whatever. And the next thing you know, you know, two, like 20 seconds later, I'm dead. Right. So how, how do you, like, how do you know how to navigate in this game to, to, to stay alive? Like what's, what's the secret, dude? It's, it's all knowledge. It's just like, I mean, you can compare it to bowling. Like if, how do I bowl the cheetah pattern? Like for people who just don't understand or don't see the lanes or don't really know what they're doing. Someone who throws the big hook on a house shot is going to try and throw the big hook on cheetah and it's not going to work. If I go into video games and I just don't know what's going on or I'm not aware of the environment, it's it's like if you play a game, I mean, a lot of it is repetition, right? So if I play, if I play that, that for example, that the example you just gave where the, you're loading into a world and you don't know where you're going or don't know where things are supposed to be coming from, then you have no really idea what you're supposed to be doing. You're just kind of following your buddy and hope that you're looking in the right direction. Um, so knowledge is really kind of the main point of what you need to do in video games. And you only really get knowledge by playing them and playing them multiple times. So once you play, for example, like through a year, I mean, to this point in the year, we have, we have what, like, I think we have six maps total, different maps that we compete on. And all of those maps in different modes we play for the most part, like, I'm going to say three or four times a day. And that's like every day. So it's like, it, it accumulates to like a lot of play. Um, and especially when, when a game first comes out, you're basically playing the game for 12, 13 hours a day to really make sure that you're ahead of the curve and you understand everything that's going on before everyone else does. Cause that's the biggest kind of the, the skill gap at the start of the game is knowledge because nobody really knows what they're doing because they don't understand the world, what you're just explaining. Um, so yeah, it's the, the way of getting better at things, just like anything in life in video games is to play them and understand them and kind of diagnose what you're seeing and what you're doing. And then there's like, there's patterns just like anything else. There's like understanding of like, Oh, because I go here, this player typically tries to do something else that counters what I'm doing. So what am I going to do to think, differently to try and counter what they're going to do. So it's almost like you're trying to think ahead of the curve. It's almost like a bowling match where you're playing head to head in match play and you're really trying to make sure you're using the right bowling ball to make life miserable for your opponent. And then you're using the ball, best bowling ball possible to give you the most room for your own lane. So it's a lot of it is comparable in some ways, but it's really just kind of understanding what you're doing and playing it the most as much as you can to a point where it kind of comes really intuitively, instinctively to your brain and it just becomes second nature. And it's like gaming at a high level is second nature. Like, like I go through a lot of things with the guys every day to really try and help them understand things. But when they play, things happen so fast that you don't really have time to sit there and think. So it's really kind of because we practice those things so much, the things that they see just become instinctive. So they just react to them in a way that they just don't even have to think about it. And then because they're making their decisions quicker than their opponents, that's what gets them to hire the, the best possibility to win, win what they're doing. Yeah, I think I think Ray's kind of exposing you you here, Mike. I mean, he's saying, you know, like if you're a house bowler with the big hook and then you go bowl on the cheetah, 
you're not going to bowl very good. And I think that's like, I mean, that's it. Uh, Mike, that's why I never bowl good on the cheetah. And that's why I don't do good in the video games, man. Yeah. I mean, this is, I mean, like I said, this is very intriguing to me uh, how all this works. The thing that I want to ask you, Ray, is there's a lot of youth that have really come into esports and gaming and, you know, they're picking it up very quickly. A lot of people say that the youth are lazy, right? That, that the younger the generation, the more lazy they are, the more entitled they are. Yet to be successful at a video game, it sounds like they have to log a lot of hours to become good. Why do you think that the youth are radiating towards the video games? Uh, I, I mean, the video games in general, like a lot of people think different things. In my opinion, it's just access accessibility. It's the fact that it's so easy to just kind of get out of your bed and you can go sit in your chair. Like my bed's what, 20 feet away from me? I can just get to my chair and play video games. I don't have to go out and do a ton of things to get to the place I'm doing. Like if I go bowling, for example, I got to I gotta drive to a bowling alley and then put my shoes on and then do all these other things. I bowl a couple of games and I get back in my car and drive back like, and just like any other sport right now. And that's one of the things that's gravitating and why video games is so entertaining. And it's just accessibility. Like I can, I literally just, I can do it from my phone in bed. Um, it's, I think that's not necessarily the, the laziness term is kind of like more of the old people saying that people don't like to move and, and I get it like to a certain extent, right? Like you're not really moving your body around that much, but it's just different times, I guess. Um, it's just people are doing things and they're having fun doing it and they're just finding different ways to have fun with their time. And it does sound more lazy because obviously you're not moving your body around, but to a certain extent it's entertainment, right? Like it's, it's just quick and easy. And I feel like that's one of the reasons video games and just like YouTube and all these, these outlets like social media is like my way of interacting with people without really having to move. And that's just one way. That's kind of the way the world has transpired in the last couple, I'd say last decade. Um, and it's getting to a point now where people are starting to make the most of it and are starting to find ways and resources to make money doing it. And pro gaming is obviously one of them. Yeah. Jason, Belmonte, I got one, one more for you real quick. Jason Belmonte is the number one bowler in the world and he has 43,000 Twitter followers. And you he does not, a lot for social media too. Yeah, he puts a lot of work and effort into yes. it. And, and and you are not the best gamer in the world, and you have two hundred forty thousand Twitter followers. I was I was I'm, kind of the best at one time, you know. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Yeah, where, where was your ranking? I mean, were you were you one of the best? Yeah, I mean, I was I was on the best I was on the best team in, in Call of Duty for I'd say three two and a half three years of my time competing. Um, for my six years I competed, so yeah, like that's that's where I got my growth. Um, the organization that sponsored my team was a big YouTube-driven organization called Optic Gaming. Um, a lot of people probably know, who, or anyone involved with, with competitive stuff probably knows of Optic Gaming. They've been in multiple esports, but um, that's kind of what got me my following. When Twitter Twitter came out as a platform, that was our that was our way of communicating with our fan base. Like if someone had a question or someone wanted to interact with us, they would just tweet at us and we would just respond. Um, and social media—that's how that's how I got my following, really from making videos, streaming, and then streaming at a time where there was, wasn't a lot of people streaming in the early days of Twitch. Um, so that's really where I got my big following. And it's also because, again, the accessibility and the amount of people that play video games is much greater than bowling now. So Belmo has access to a ton of people. And granted, he's he's doing really well for his own right. It's just the fact that bowling, the bowling community is just isn't as big. So 44K is a huge amount for bowling. Like you don't see many bowlers or if any really being close to that unless they have different outlets like I do for video games or Mookie bets for baseball and whatnot. So that's just kind of what it is. 
Yeah, Ray, I got a question for you. I asked you before the show, you know, I know you, you've become close with some of the West Coast guys, Darren Tang, uh, Mikey Tang, Chris Vi. You bowled the Papyrus Cup with Marshall Ken on his team as well. And you've gamed with a bunch of these guys. Um, give me a ranking real quick of all the bowlers that you game with and who's the best and who's the worst. Who's the best? I'm sorry. My boy Darren needs some time in Call of Duty. My boy Darren is for sure at the bottom right now. He. He's, he's getting better, though. I'll give him that. He's definitely getting better. Um, I'd say, like, probably Chris. Chris, Matt Sanders, Mikey are probably, like, some of the best I play with. Um, I put, like, Kyle Sherman, and um, Brad's probably near the bottom. I love you, Brad, but you got to get some time in the game, too, my guy. Uh, I'd, say, I'd say, like, I play with a good amount of guys now. And it's, it's fun, dude. It's just fun interacting with those guys all the time. And then trying to put him in my backpack and carry him in the video game when they would do the same for me in bowling, you know. So, but, yeah, it's, it's a good time. Well, I find it interesting you say put it on you put it on your back when it comes to bowling like they would do. Um, I've got the scorecard here from the Proprietors oh, Cup team event. Um, and the crazy – what a team. Chris Vi, Marshall Kent, Darren Tang. Uh, you got Luis Gonzalez in here who won the first uh, Bolero Elite Series event. And you, Ray. And look at all these scores here. And look who's the number one guy. My man Ray is the number one cat on the squad, putting everybody else to shame. So I don't think you can skate out and say that here, Ray. I think we've got evidence here to say that you put everybody on your back, no matter if it's bowling or esports. Every bird finds their worm, my guy. You know, I just got <laughs> I had my day, and they were there were no. I mean, to be fair, nobody did too hot that day. We all kind of had a rough go, more or less. But yeah, it was it was just fun, dude. Like it's a. I just like again. I do things. Like bowling is my competitive outlet on the competitive side, which I love doing it. Um, and that's playing with the best bowlers is really what I'm looking for. Like I don't, I didn't go to the World Series in 2018 or whatever it was expecting to win or really get anything out of it. It was just my way to get my adrenaline going and have the rush that you get when you do things well at a high level. And that's really was my goal. And I mean, as crazy as it sounds, like I, I don't drink alcohol. I don't do any drugs. Like I'm probably one of the cleanest human beings you'll ever meet, but I am a junkie. Like I literally... I live for the rushes of life and gaming and bowling and anything competitive really gives me that. And that's, that's something, I mean, it's exciting. Like I like being excited about things and that's something that excites me. Yeah. Is that, is that what attracts you to golf? I know you're a big golfer. You love to get out there on the links and take some hacks. Um, golf, golf is a, golf is the most love hate sport in the entire world. Uh, I, I mean, it's, I'm, I would consider, I mean, I'm at like a 1.2 handicap, so I'm like almost scratch. I'm, I'm probably better than most players, but it's a game that you're just never really able to perfect. And that's what kind of gets me into it. Like, I just love it because it's so freaking hard. And I typically kind of like Mike, I don't really get interested in things that I'm not that great at when I start playing, but golf was the one exception where like just hitting, you hit that one good shot around and it just keeps you coming back. And I was just got addicted to it. And that's, and it's probably my, like, honestly, it's probably my favorite thing to do outside of gaming and bowling. Like it's just, I just love it. It gets me outside fresh air, being outside in the, in the Kind of the outside and the trees and whatnot and it's just relaxing and it's just super super hard mentally and, and it's also really i feel like it's one of the sports that's really good for your mental juju as well because it really tests your patience um it's the one of the sports where like in bowling i can fry like i hate that term fry but i can i can get mad uh, but like if i get mad for a bowling shot like by the time i, I mean kind of golf you have that time in between as well but if you get mad in golf like it it shows instantly in your next shot. Like it's so hard to kind of recover from a shot when you don't have that kind of level headed patience where you're just really at a neutral tone emotionally. Um, which is something that I feel like in other things, like I can get mad playing video games. I'll probably be, it'll take me like whatever, 10 seconds to recover. I can get mad at bowling, maybe, maybe lose a shot, but 
Um, but yeah, and golf is just something you can do, which I love. It like really tests your mental aspect of it. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Have you ever played? I know you game with Chris Vi. Have you ever golfed with Chris Vi? I did. Yes. We. Uh, Boy I, hits bombs. He hits. He hits it far. He hits it a lot. Bombs. He is we the played. A, girl, you I, know? I, yeah. I, I live. Uh, I live about two minutes from Beth Page. Um, and so we. Uh, he came to visit me a couple summers ago, and we played played Beth Page Black, and obviously one of the hardest golf courses in the world. And Chris shot. 76 i yeah, think he's good 75 he, he and he was hitting bombs so i'm glad that you've gotten the opportunity to play with him we've got a couple minutes left here uh probably about five five or so five ten minutes left here on the show um i want to ask you said that you know there are a lot of similarities between video games and the gaming industry and bowling what is one thing that you think bowling um as a sport the industry as a whole could take as a lesson from the gaming world um, and apply it to better the sport of bowling. So I'll try and keep this as short as possible. Just kind of the, the basis of Call of Duty deals with a lot of issues that bowling does. Um, kind of what Flanny was saying earlier when he described like him going into video games was just like, what is this world? Um, but if you ask like someone about bowling at a, like a really in-depth point, they really have no idea what's going on. And professional Call of Duty is very different from the casual experience. Like if I go into Call of Duty, and I play a public match, kind of what like Flanny was explaining. I was like, I, my objective is to kill the other people. Like the most played thing when you play Call of Duty is called Team Deathmatch, where I just get into a lobby and I kill my other opponents. But when we play competitive, it's a different mode. We have different rules. There's different things in the game that you can't use that you typically can't use, like, like claim wars or basically things that would lessen the skill gap um, at a pro level, like exploits. We don't play with those. So if I'm, a, if I'm a player who's really interested in YouTube videos and I watch this guy who plays TDM all the time and plays public matches and I go watch a competitive uh, Call of Duty experience, I have no idea what's going on. Like everything's so different. Even the kind of the threshold of players and the statistics around them. Like if I play a, a casual match, I can average like a four or five kill per death. It's called a kill debt ratio. I'll average four or five, but at a professional level, like 1.2, 1.3 is really good because you're playing against players of your own skill level that are really hard to kill. Um, so if you average around that element, like it's it's really good. But the guy who watches those guys, like, well, this guy's doing a 1.2, and but this YouTuber is doing 4.0, so he's probably better. So the same thing with bowling. If I'm a, if I'm a casual bowler and I go to this bowling, I play a local league. I see this guy. I see PJ averaging like 240 on a house shot. I'm like, oh, this guy's. I mean, PJ is a bad example because he he bowls on he can bowl on tour and win tournaments. But let's say I take like this casual bowler who's really a house hack, mm. and he averages 240 in a house, but then you put him on a PB pattern, and he probably averages 200. But I see that guy, and I'm like, oh, Belmo averaging 220 on TV this year. Like, but doesn't Joe Bob 514 from from Yosemite shooting 240 average is better than Belmo? Like, what is the comparison there? And even just like again with the the basis of all the the mechanics and sporting stuff for oil patterns and balls and all that stuff. So the biggest thing for me that's an issue in relation to the understanding of professional bowling is really the outlets for content and where I can learn about those things is so sporadically spread. Um, and this is not a shot at, I said the same thing on the other podcast. This is not a shot at anybody, but the fact that I have to go to different locations to watch content for bowling when the bowling audience really isn't big enough to really spread that content to me is the biggest issue going on with kind of growing the sport because social is really where the sport's going to go, in my opinion. Like bowling alleys are like closing. There's not really kind of a lot of new bowling alleys opening. So it's not like, oh, they're opening a new bowling here, 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 here. And all the people around that area are going to be interested in starting bowling. It's kind of the opposite now. So the, our way of kind of getting back to that and the old days, I guess you can say, is really kind of 
driving the social aspect of it, really making sure that shows like this show and shows like Darren show and and all these like Brad and Kyle videos and all these kind of things are located in some specific, not specific, but like small location of, of area where if I want to watch bowling, I want to learn about bowling, I know where to go for it. I don't have to look left and right. I don't have to go on YouTube or on Twitch or here, I'm, I'm, I mean, on Facebook. Like it, it's so sporadic. Like, I have, like for example, if I want to access your show, I won't be able to just type in bowling on Google and go find your show. I will have to go to YouTube and know who you are. I'll have to look up Inside Bowling or Mike Flanagan or Matt Farber. I'll have to go really find it. I have to dig for it. And that's an issue with these days. Like like the lazy term, like people don't, I mean, it's not necessarily the lazy, but it's the accessibility for everything else. If I want to watch Call of Duty, one of the first things I type when I type Call or find when I type Call of Duty on, on Google is Twitch. And it shows me Twitch. And look at that. There's like 2,000 people streaming Call of Duty on Twitch. I have access to content. There's people who are going to teach me things and people are going to entertain me. And I have it right in my face. I don't have to look for it. And for bowling to me, that's one of the biggest issues. It's like even, even a different subscription basis. Like if I want to watch PBA tour, I have to subscribe to this thing. And if I want to watch the women's tour, I have to subscribe to this thing. It's just like, it's, it's, it's crazy to me how we're, to me, it's greedy. Like it's for lack of a better term, it's everyone's trying to get their piece of the pie, but there isn't a lot of pie to go with. So in my opinion, growing that pie to an amount that's just bigger where there's a lot more people being interested in what's going on is going to help everyone, everyone's growth and really help the sport grow back to a level where there's accessibility from everyone and there's viewership and all that stuff. Like going on TV when people don't aren't interested by bowling to me is, I mean, it helps. Like some people are still interested by bowling, but to me that's kind of like a dying method of really seeing numbers and growth. Like we need to have that social aspect that all the esports and all these other things in life that have. And like there's bowling to me isn't doing a good enough job at that. And I think that's one of the places we need to grow. Yeah, and and you you probably got Mike's mouth watering over there because some of the early conversations that I've had with Mike, you know, we always talked about how you know everybody's always focused on you know um, there you know it's hard for some people to get out of the mindset of trying to grow their small piece of the pie to almost try to take up the whole pie as opposed to growing the entire pie so everybody else's share becomes that much bigger. Um, and it's interesting to see that you see that that same thing carrying over from the gaming um, to bowling. And I kind of want to transition here and ask you a personal question, um, like more about your coaching and more about um, the actual team that you're working with and where you are because you've moved around so so many places. So where are you now? What is your current gig with this team? Um, and what is that exactly does it entail? So yeah, I mean, like I guess I kind of surfaced it earlier, but it's almost like being Belichick, Bill Belichick, or any sporting competitive coach. It's it's X's and O's. You're really a lot of viewing, a lot of watching. Like my day, for example, we have scrims in five minutes, so we gotta get this going. Uh, but yeah, it's really just kind of watching. I go sit in a, in a lobby with my team, and I have a view. Like there's this mode that allows me to see kind of the mini map, which is basically imagine like a top down view where all the players are moving, and, and they're just arrows instead of seeing the actual gameplay. I'm seeing how things develop on the world and I can see what happens when certain players make certain interactions and what causes that. Um, so it really, and my job is to really kind of transfer that knowledge to the players and help them understand that doing certain things and really having my own take on the strategies that are going on and help them better it and really make sure that they're playing the, the cleanest way possible to achieve what we're trying to achieve, which is win the game. Um, and that's kind of most of my days is really just watching content, watching our team play, watching other teams play, us really trying to find kind of the exploits and how to play the game at the highest level to make sure that my team's ahead of the curve and really playing the game uh, in the best way possible. 
again, just like football, like where you're, I mean, I like football comparison because it's like a lot of X's and O's and the coaches really have a similar job where they watch a lot of VOD content of other teams and they keep track of what's going on and they're able to transfer that information to their players. So it's really just the basis of knowledge is really what a coach does. And it's no different for Call of Duty. Yeah. And so go ahead, Mike. Yeah, I was just going to say, do you, could you still get back in there? Chris Barnes asked earlier if, if a player was injured or something, uh, their thumb broke, or I don't even know what he was trying to say. But uh, would you uh, would you be able to step in and play? Uh, it's interesting. I mean, I would be able to step in and play, but obviously not at the level I used to play and probably not at a level that would help my team win at this point. Um, I haven't really kind of – so one of the things that I'm – because I started at the stage I did this year, I think with the next game I probably could, you know, like – I might be able to invest the amount of time, but it's really kind of a question of investing time into it, right? So my time is not necessarily invested into playing the games right now. It's invested into really kind of watching and understanding the game at the highest point. And the skill aspect of my game is absolutely atrocious in what it compared to be, what it, what it compared and used to be. So if I were to invest time into it, like on a physical point and really play the game and try and play the highest level, I might be able to get to a certain point that's maybe good enough to place at a high placing. But I mean, I, yeah, I think my competing days are kind of over. Uh, it's, it's, it's just hard really. And it's, again, it's just a matter of investing time. I'm sure if I played as much as I needed to play, I could get to a certain level that's maybe decent enough to play, but probably never really be at the point I used to be at. Yeah. And I know you said you've got scrimmages going on soon today. Um, so we don't want to take up too much more of your time, Ray. I know you just started a Twitter account. You're desperate for followers. The <laughs> eSports is just launching and you guys don't get anybody to watch. So you're desperate for people to watch your team. Where can people find you? Where can people watch your team compete? Um, where can people follow your journey? So, yeah, so my Twitter is Rambo Ray, just one word. That's probably the best place to follow me on social. Um, I stream a good amount. I'm trying to, like, I'm trying to play the game, like, like kind of what uh, Chris was saying. I'm trying to get my time back into it so I can get, uh, it's also an aspect of really understanding the game helps to see it from a different perspective. It's just seeing it on the field and seeing it from a different perspective also helps. So um, my, my streaming is just Twitch slash Rambo. Um, I got the original name there. And then that's basically it. Uh, if you really want to watch the competitive league, uh, if you go to YouTube and type CDL, which is stands for Call of Duty League, you'll find all this stuff. Um, the CDL website will help you guys know when the stream and the competitive tournaments are on. They're every two weekends right now because everything's online. But typically, in a, like be, beyond the coronavirus, it would be every – there's typically one every three or four weeks. Um, but, yeah, there's like a ton of content you can watch from the previous events. My team is the Dallas Empire, so make sure you support them. We have some pretty cool merch as well. Our logo is pretty sick, as you can see behind me. Um, so if you guys want to procure yourself some stuff, um, we have a lot of stuff. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It was it was a blast. Right, really appreciate it, man. Intriguing conversation. If there's any way we can ever work together in the future on any endeavors uh, from a technological side of things, or if we can be any help at all, please don't hesitate to reach out. We'd love to continue the conversation offline and uh, have a good uh, have a good coaching session with your team. I appreciate it for sure. I'm always right. ready to come back if you guys want me to be back. Great. Thanks so much, Ray. Take care, man. Hope you guys have a great, have, have a great rest of your day. Thanks, man. You too, guys. Have it easy. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting cat right there. I mean, I think Ray's got a freaking awesome story. And, dude, I, I don't know why, Mike, but when I learn about something new and I don't – I you know – this is how I view it, right? 
people always come at the sport of bowling and say, oh, it's stupid. You're just rolling a ball down the lane at a bunch of wooden sticks and there's not much to it. And we've taken a lot of heat as a sport over the course of time that it's not really very important. It's not much. And some, so, yeah. Right. Yeah. So some, right. And, and well, so we, notice that. we see that. Right. We respond to it because we right. take offense. So exactly. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so when I used to look at it, other sports, I used to be like, oh, curling, that's so stupid. Like you're just rolling this thing down, you know, and, or video games or cornhole. Right. But when you look into everything, there's so much more than meets the eye. And now I've become so unbelievably interested in all these different, different things, these different events, these different outlets. I mean, video gaming is just one to me that is so interesting and how this the the landscape for esports has just blown up recently. So interesting and so cool to have somebody who's not only just a bowler, but he's a really talented bowler, be involved with our sport and be able to kind of draw some parallels between the two. Yeah. Uh, his comments about the uh, finding everything in, in one place um, was interesting to me very much uh, because – I have been vocal with some of our leaders in the industry when they ask my opinion, you know, should we go behind a paywall? What should we do? And uh, I said, put everything on YouTube, you know, similar to like Twitch, I guess, you know, uh, with what he was saying. Uh, but at the same time, it's easier said than done when, you know, you can, you can get a subscriber base and and you can, you can bring in revenue that way. So, you know, the question would be, if, if the PBA decided to move everything over to YouTube and the PWBA decided to move everything over to YouTube, would the players be okay with that with prize funds that are reduced by 25 to 30% potentially? Now, I'm not saying that 25 to 30% is the revenue stream uh, or the percentage of how much money gets breathed into those tours, but it is a way to justify on a PL statement that doing this, you know, this is a way to grow it, you know. Um, also, you know, there is also the argument that if it's free and available for people to watch, people won't watch it. We're free here today and we have 44 concurrent viewers right now. Um, I know this is just our show, but even when I go into live stream bowling tournaments for free, you know, I don't have hundreds of thousands of people watching because it's free. You take the PBA League draft the other night through a flow bowling subscription that's about a buck and a half a year, which is, you know, it's, it's a pretty good chunk of change over there. And I guarantee you there were more people watching the, the PBA league draft through a pay platform because it, it holds you accountable when you pay for a subscription service, just like HBO or, or ESPN or cable networks or ESPN plus uh, I subscribe to the athletic and I make damn sure that I log into the athletic every day and see if there's an article there that I want to see because I'm paying for behind the scenes content. And if I don't go check that every day and if the athletic was free, I may not log into the app as often because I want to make sure that, that in my mind, that purchase, I can justify that. So it's, it's, it's a fine line. It's a very, very fine line. And uh, that conversation is, is one that I think, uh, as I like to say, is interesting because, you know, I could see it, I could see it both ways. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think at the end of the day, it just comes down to the content that you're releasing and whether or not there's that value behind it. Like I think comparing our show to the PBA league draft is, is a bit of a, a, it's apples to oranges there. And I think that sure. I, I think that if it was free or not free, people are going to tune in to watch the PBA league draft. Mm-hmm. I think when it comes to our show, yeah, sure. If we're going to start charging people to watch our show, we're may have one or two viewers. Right. Um, so I think it's an interesting conversation nonetheless, that I think needs to be continuously talked about in our industry as to how we can get the most people to watch 
bowling content and how we can continue, like Ray was saying, growing the entire pie and making everything better for all people that are within the sport of bowling. Yeah. The bottom line is how, how can you, how can you monetize and tie a dollar to it? And the Twitch community in general is a community that if you're being provided entertainment, it's, uh, it's just common, common courtesy to tip. I mean, yeah. it, it, it's built into the culture over there. People don't think twice about it. Just like, you know, if you go and get your haircut and you add a tip on for the haircut, you, you go and order five beers at a bar um, and you walk up to the bartender and you tip the bartender. It's like, it's second nature. You don't even think about it. But for some reason in bowling, you know, there, there's not, there's just not this automatic tip. You know, we, we could put the tip option on the show and throughout the show, you know, would, 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 would we be giving shout outs throughout the show? Oh, Hey, thanks Stu Williams for the tip. <laughs> you know, thanks. Stu ain't tipping, you know, Barney ain't tipping. Thanks. Love Jones. Thanks. Jonathan Thompson. Thanks. Jeremy Witt. You know, like, but at the same time, you know, we're doing the show and this is episode 33 and I'm getting asked all over the, the bowling world. Well, what are you doing the show for? How are you monetizing? Where's the money? How are you getting, uh, you know, because this takes a lot of our time. Yep. Right. I mean, it does. And right now, really, you know, if, if I wanted to answer that question on air, you know, there's been some contracts that we've lost recently and uh, we're at a revenue deficiency here and the government programs we're taking advantage of and, and our team is solid and our, and our team is strong here. But at the same time, you know, there, there is going to have to be a monetization strategy here. You know, that's why we plug the merch and, and we don't try to breathe it down people's necks at all. I, I don't think we've even mentioned it on this show here today. Nope, uh, and Ray, he's somebody that supported our merch. He's made multiple orders because he gets it. He's from the gaming world. I think he's placed three or four hundred dollars worth of orders here. So, um, yeah, exactly, Chris. Thank you for that. <laughs> format. I tip for good service. If I haven't tipped you well, yeah. So, um, but this is, gr- I mean, this is really great conversation. And I'd love to get hooked up with Ray some way somehow. You know, we have these ideas, Matt. And we talk about them all the time behind the scenes. We've got a lot of ideas and a lot of things brewing. You know, maybe, guy maybe by- we should maybe we should make a bowling slash video game clinic and we've got like a lounge set up where Ray is there doing his little coaching thing with clinics. And then we have some other big time bowlers out on the lanes mixing and matching. Yeah. Something. I mean, you know, we, we were talking to Bill O'Neill, right. And Bill, we, we want to do a podcast with Bill O'Neill and put it under our umbrella, you know, and we're, we're thinking who could be a good, a good co-host for Bill O'Neill. You know, and uh, I think we could convince Bill O'Neill to do that. And I think it would be solid gold every week, a podcast with Bill O'Neill and someone and uh, trying to put that together. And and but then you, you put it out there. And, and if you don't pick up somebody from the Brunswick family, a brand, you know, would one of the ball companies want to sponsor it? You know, and, and you hate to go back to the ball companies over and over again. So who do you go to sponsor it? Do you go to a grip company? You know, I hate to do that, too, and to take from our own industry. How do you go outside and get it? And who's going to find Bill O'Neill and want to want to sponsor the thing? So. You know, and the other thing is when you turn on a professional bowler store, and I'm really getting off on a tangent here, and we're going to wrap the show up. But you know, when you see ball companies on the chest of the shirts, I'm I'm waiting for some guy one day to have Red Bull on the front of the shirt, and and, and the bowling ball company doesn't have to pay the guy as much money, and they can put it into other ways to feed the sport. And those people are getting you know half a million dollar contracts a year to have Red Bull on their jerseys. I mean, that's that's the real ticket here, folks. That's because if you start doing that, then little shows like this for fifty grand a year. 10 grand a, a month, you know, 5,000 here, a thousand here, there, then our little shows can survive because then that, that pro bowler sets the bar at this large amount. And if somebody wants to get involved with it, uh, you know, an energy bar or whatever, and wants to have the power bar energy, 
you know, uh, guest of the day on the inside bowling show. That's, that's when, that's when it all starts to, starts to figure it out and come together. But you know what? We're going to keep going at this show as if, as if we've got those sponsors, even though we don't, you know, and we do want to thank Bowler X for their support of this show. The poll question each day, Lee and Chris over at Bowler X, we appreciate all their support that they give us. And that's why we do that poll question every day, man. Yeah, so it's, uh, it's great to have the support that we do, and um, we're going to keep grinding and keep pushing to get as much support as we continuously can and grow this pie so everybody can uh, can succeed together. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we're going to keep keep trying to grow bowling together, keep doing fun stuff, and we appreciate our, our loyal listeners. We got some more emails last night, media at Inside Bowling, if you want to give us some ideas and just uh, weigh in on the show. We'd like to eventually maybe get to an email of the day where at the end of the day we read emails that come in during the show. My favorite one would be like, the, hey, Mike, I heard you say some, something on the show yesterday. You're totally wrong. You're an idiot. And um, you really shouldn't host a podcast show. Yeah, that would be great. Those are the types of comments that I actually want. <laughs> All right. Well, I think it's time to get out of here, Matt. Um, tomorrow we have uh, another great show with uh, Mike Jazz now and Mark Baker. Yeah, it's going to be a great coaching show. Love me some bakes. Love some jazz now. So thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We will catch you all tomorrow. See you later.